It's the Rush Fancast. Steve and Jerry with you. As always, Jerry, what's up? Not much, Steve. What's going on over on your side of the world? <laughs> not, <laughs> not much at all. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. We are Instagram, the Rushcast. Email Jerry, the Rushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro, as always, done by our good pal Lex. He's fabulous. And Jared, today we are going to talk about exit stage left. Are you excited? Um, <laughs> I'm not excited. I'm not very excited. Not that I don't love the album. It's sort of like, what did we talk about that I wasn't excited about? Was it the feedback? Feedback, right. It's sort of like the feedback thing. We've covered these songs before. We've talked about these songs before. Uh, I don't know what what I can bring to to the table this time about these songs. So we'll see what happens. I think you're going to bring a lot to the table. The reason I wanted to talk about this album is because whenever we talk to Rush fans, inevitably, they say that their introduction to Rush was Exit Stage Left. Yes. And it's a big album for a lot of Rush fans. Yeah, I mean, it's it almost is... It's the album introduction, at least for me, because after the concert that we went to for the first time, we drove around until like two or three in the morning, listening to Exit Stage Left the entire time, just on repeat over and over and over again. And a lot of Rush fans, it's the same for them. It's almost like a greatest hits album of the late 70s and early 80s. Well, yeah, I guess live albums are supposed to be like that. I know, but this is Rush's sweet spot you know between 1977 and 1981 these are the songs yeah i guess a lot of bands would have trouble coming up with however many songs are on this album that are all hits like these are all hits yeah you know to the rush community that is Mm -hmm. not a dull moment well before we get into it i've got a twitter poll for you jer oh boy we haven't had one of those in a while i know i know so about a month ago or so we talked to martin popoff i remember about his book limelight rush in the 80s i asked the twitter verse what their favorite decade was did you give them two choices i gave them three choices so these are based on martin's books okay okay rush in the 70s rush in the 80s and rush in the 90s and beyond i know his book is going to be called in the end right but i went with beyond so those were the three choices 70s 80s or 90s to the end I am going to say 80s. 80s, by quite a bit. Really? 56% chose the 80s. There you go. And I think because Moving Pictures came out in the 80s, well, yeah, that probably put it over the top. And so did Permanent Waves. Came out like the beginning of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So that's an, that's an 80s album. Right. So the 70s got 36%, and the 90s and beyond, only 8%. Well, I mean... What are you going to do, Steve? <laughs> Stacking up against the 70s and the 80s. I know. It's tough. It's tough. You got an email for us, Jer? Oh, boy, do I. Can't wait. This is a good one. You know, usually we get, um, we get a lot of, of emails saying how Rush changed people's lives. We say it all the time, too, right? Oh, yeah. But this, this email, what's it from? It's from Sammy in Tampa, Florida. Hey, Sammy. He says, hey, guys. Long time Rush fan here. I just discovered your podcast earlier this year when I was working from home and have been tuning in ever since. Since you were discussing The Enemy Within on this week's episode, I thought I might share a story with you that illustrates just how much Neil's lyrics can help change someone's life. 
Back in May of 2017, I was admitted to the ICU of my local hospital with a severe breathing issue, along with a couple of other ailments. The biggest factor contributing to my poor health was the fact that I weighed almost 400 pounds. Wow. After spending six days in the hospital, I was sent home with the requirement that I had to be on oxygen around the clock until my breathing improved. During those six miserable days, I knew that I had to make some serious lifestyle changes. And with the love and support of my wife, I started off on a journey toward a healthier life. Eventually, I was able to get off the the O2 and start exercising on a daily basis. Over the course of the next 18 months, by switching to a keto diet along with said exercise, I managed to lose 170 pounds. Wow, that's awesome. 170 pounds. Throughout my life, the music of Rush, and more specifically, Neil's lyrics, have been a driving force that I often turn to for inspiration. In this case, I needed a mantra or a motivating theme to keep me going on those days when it was too damn hot to go outside to walk or run. He lives in Florida, she said. I was listening to Grace Under Pressure one day, and as I was listening to The Enemy Within, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It takes a little more persistence to get up and go the distance. This became my rallying cry daily, and I eventually placed an 8x10 picture frame in my living room with those lyrics contained within. Whenever I got home from a long day at work and just didn't feel like going out and running, I immediately stared at that picture frame with Neil's words in it, and suddenly the motivation reappeared. I just turned 50 this year, and I feel like I did back in my 20s. Like all Rush fans, I feel that I owe Getty, Alex, and especially Neil a huge debt of gratitude. Wow, that's amazing. Thanks so much for that email. And congratulations on losing yeah. 170 pounds. That's, that's awesome. That is awesome. But it was that one line. The music of Rush, the lyrics of Rush, literally changed this guy's life. Yeah. And it's amazing how many people we run across, you get the emails, people we talk to yep. that feel the same way about Rush's music and Neil's yeah. lyrics specifically. They change professions. They go into this line of work. They go into that line of work. They're inspired to play instruments. They're mm-hmm. inspired to teach instruments. It's amazing. And as we mentioned before, the album that changed a lot of Rush fans' lives is Exit Stage Left. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This is Rush's second live album, Joe, released October 31st, 1981. So the anniversary just passed recently. It's recorded in two places, June 10th and 11th in Glasgow, Scotland, on the Permanent Waves Tour. That's side two. Okay. The other three sides, we're talking about the vinyl now was recorded March 27th, 1981 at the Forum in Montreal. Four sides? I never had the vinyl. On the Moving Pictures Tour, yeah. There were four sides. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Not a double live album. Yeah, it was a double live album. Four sides. Oh, I'm thinking four albums. (laughs) (laughs) No, two records, four sides, Yes, yes. I got confused. I, I don't know what sides are anymore. I never listened to records proper, you know? That makes sense was mixed at Le Studio, Marin Heights, Quebec, and there are two singles, Jer, from Exit Stage Left. I always do this. Can you possibly guess the two singles from Exit Stage Left? I am going to guess Closer to the Heart. Yes, very good. Wow. That's the first single. It's, it's the sing-along, I think. Yeah. That does it. And, um, I don't know, Tom Sawyer. Yes, very good. Really? Nice. <laughs> I'm very impressed. 
So the album reached number 10 on the U.S. Billboard 200 album chart. That's great for a live album. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Number six on the U.K. album chart, and number seven on the Canadian album chart. Wow. Big seller. Yeah, and it was certified platinum. Wow. So that that's you. All of those stats are fantastic for a live album, I think. Right. Yeah. And there was a video released in 1982 with the same name, but it's not the same concert. Yeah, you told me that. I mean, I guess I never thought of that. I mean, I never played them back to back. I guess if I had paid attention, there are different songs. Well, some of the songs are the same. Some of the songs are different. It's from the same tour. It's from the Moving Pictures tour. But I guess it just didn't have enough space to put some songs in one medium or the other. Yeah, and I watched the video the other day. It's fantastic. It's really great. We could talk about that a little more, a little bit more later. But first, I think we should talk about the album cover, as we always do. Yeah. Now, the strange thing is, is there isn't anything in Hugh Syme's book about this cover. Really? Actually, you know what? Let me, let me go look in the back of the book. I looked chronologically and didn't see anything. Maybe they're tucked in the back. But while you're doing that, Ultimate Classic Rock, the website, recently interviewed Hugh Syme and released a whole bunch of vignettes about Rush's album covers, and he talked about Exit Stage Left. They are in the book, but they're in the back under, under a live section. Go ahead. Ah, here we go. So anyway, here's the quote from Ultimate Classic Rock from Hugh. I wanted to do nothing more than just a solid black cover with a pink tail and probably the back of Snagglepuss's ankle, he told Ultimate Classic Rock. A complete nod to Snagglepuss. I just wanted to keep it real pop art, graphic and simple. So Exit Stage Left was the catchphrase of Snagglepuss, which is an American cartoon character, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon character. Right. He was a lion? I think he was like a panther or something. Kind of like <laughs> the he... Pink Panther, but his name was Snagglepuss. Snagglepuss? Was he pink? I think he was, yeah. He looked just like the Pink Panther, except I think he wore clothes, and the Pink Panther I don't think did. No, that Pink Panther never wore anything. So anyway, he was, goes on. We got in touch with Hanna-Barbera, who owned the rights, but apparently the ask on that was prohibitive. So that was quickly nixed. I even asked, can I at least put a pink tail on there somewhere? No one's going to know. There were too many legal beagles on that one saying, no, better not. (laughs) And after that plan fell apart, Sime pivoted to another lighthearted idea, reviving visuals from Rush's own visual universe. Yeah. So on the album cover, each of Rush's previous eight albums is represented. Mm-hmm. So you see Paula Turnbull is on, on this album cover as well. She was on Permanent Waves. Yes. And also the man in the hat. Yes. From Hemispheres, right? Mm-hmm. And the naked man from Hemispheres. He's on the back. On the front right. is, the, is the owl from Fly By Night. Right. The owl from Fly By Night. Well, if you open it up, it's one photo. One big photo, yeah. I, again, do not have the, the, <laughs> the LP, so I'm looking online. The marionette from A Farewell to Kings. Is yeah. sitting on a box with the Rush logo from the first album cover. That's a good one. I like that. The moving men from moving pictures are there and they're mm-hmm. holding a picture of the Caress of Steel album cover. Yes, they are. And then you see the Rush 2112 logo on the wall in the background, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's it. I also think I read that they're looking out on the on the stage. That's a nod to all the world to stage. Ah, there we go. Because on that one, it's just a picture of the empty stage, right? With all the instruments on it. So this is kind of like, you can't see it, but 
you know, it's the stage. Yep. And uh, Hugh goes on to say, we resolved to make the artwork a nod to several of the preceding albums. I featured those key elements from those albums to make their own cameos in the wings of the stage. We even brought back the actual personnel from those covers. So all the people you see on the exit stage left cover are the actual people that were on the other album covers, except for probably the owl. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was different. (laughs) And the marionette, maybe. But I got to tell you, man, uh, naked guy, he really kept himself up. He did. Yeah, he He is looking good. Absolutely. And um, this has to be one of my favorite Hugh Syme album covers, I think. It's a great album cover. It really is great. It's one it's again one of those album covers that sounds like the album or maybe the album sounds like the album cover. Right. I just remember listening to this album and just looking at the album cover while I was listening to it when I was a kid. That was the way to do it. Yeah, but people don't do that anymore. I certainly don't. I only had the tape. I never had the physical album. Really? Yeah. For a while, you know, when we first started listening to Rush, it was I was driving already. And, um, you know, I, I bought a ridiculously expensive stereo for my car that was worth more than the car. So I just had tapes, lots and lots of tapes. And album covers don't look great on cassette. No, they don't. There's no liner notes, at least back then, you know, it was just like that, that crappy sleeve inside. Yeah. So before we get into the album itself, Jared, I've got a couple of quotes for you. How about that? Oh boy. So this one's from uh, Martin Popoff's limelight rush in the eighties book. We talked to Martin a few weeks back. Yes. He has a section about exit stage left. This is a quote from Getty. That one was an attempt to kind of over-exaggerate how perfect you could make a live album. There was a lot of meddling with the tapes and trying to make sure we had the best performances. We also made a conscious effort to pull down the audience a bit and emphasize the music. In the end, I think we recorded a fairly sterile live record. So yes, that would entail the most tinkering of any of the live albums. We played around with making sure things were in time, snipping bits of time here and there, turned into a bit of a nightmare of mixing and perfecting. And that was, as with all the world's a stage, most of us being involved. Although I think Neil tuned out pretty early in the process. (laughs) I wonder why. Um, I've heard that criticism before that it's sterile. I mean, he just said it. I disagree. I love the sound of this record. Yeah, I love it too. I really do. I don't think it's sterile. Maybe it's sterile to them because it doesn't sound as live as it should. Yeah. I mean, um, all the world's a stage. That's a live album, right? That thing is crashing, but that was also recorded as a live album, like a track to track. It sounds like it's a concert. Right. All the world's a stage almost sounds like they just, you know, put a cassette deck in the middle of the stage and hit record or something, you know? Right. Yeah. I'm not sure how they recorded that one either. Like if they took, um, cause it was recorded over what, two days. People are going to yell at me. However many days it was recorded. Um, and it just sounds to me like it was, it was the, the song, song after song after song being, being played live. This, uh, this one, not so much, right? Because there's spaces in between, as if they're discrete songs. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, it's, I think it sounds fantastic. It does sound fantastic. And like I said, it's, it's kind of like a greatest hits album, but it's not the studio versions of the songs. You get a different version of the song. We're going to talk about each, each of those versions in a moment. I've got a quote from Neil, though, first. This is from something I found on Cygnus X1's website. Okay. 
John Petuto puts some great stuff up here. He it's does. called a rush update by drummer Neil Peart. Okay. And it's from Kerrang magazine. Kerrang. Kerrang. With the exclamation point and everything. Yeah. And it's really long, <laughs> but I'm just going to read a portion of it. Okay. Uh, toward the end, Neil says, such as it is, we're all very proud of this one. Everything has improved so much since our last somewhat uneven live effort. All the world's a stage. Disagree. Yeah, I disagree too. Once again, it's kind of an anthology album, a summation of the live highlights of our previous four studio albums and a couple of older reincarnations in A Passage to Bangkok and Beneath, Between, and Behind, affectionately known as BBB for obvious reasons. Yeah, I guess so. Then there's our smashing version of Ebb Tide, which we'll talk about later, before Jacob's Ladder. Exciting stuff. So Getty said Neil tuned out, but according to this, it sounds like Neil, Neil was pretty happy about it. He was tuned in. He was tuned in. Ready to drop out. <laughs> so anyway, why don't, we, <laughs> why don't we get into the tracks on Exit Stage Left? We'll play a, a small portion of each one okay. and talk about them. So the first track on Exit Stage Left, Jar, is, of course, The Spirit of Radio. Now, as we talked about before with Permanent Waves, I mean, is there a better way to start any album than with the spirit of radio? No, it's a great way to start. But you know what I noticed is that Getty introduces the song before the song starts. So which would lead me to believe that it wasn't the first song of the set. It wasn't. So I'm, I'm looking at our good friend Skip and Eric's book. Okay. And we have the, the, the set list here for the moving pictures tour. And the songs are, you know, just out of order, which is strange. Again, that's why, to me, it doesn't sound like, you know, the first live album, which sounds like a concert. Right. From, from beginning to end. This one is just not just a collection of songs, but it breaks up the concert experience for me, even though it sounds great. Yeah, it was edited together. Yeah. And they chose the song order just like they would choose the song order on a studio album. Yeah. And again, they smartly chose the right song to start it out, I think. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. First thing I noticed, though, is what Getty was talking about. The sound is almost too perfect. I mean, it's great. I love it. But you're missing a little bit. Getty said that they brought down the crowd noise. Yeah. And to me, it's noticeable because going to the concert, you remember the parts where the crowd would go crazy, especially with this song. Well, there, there's some of that in there, right? Some of it, but not a lot. So if things sound perfect, did they do a lot of um, post-recording to like fix things? I don't think they recorded things later. I think they did what Getty said. They cut out little little pieces of time. They brought the, the crowd sound down. I'm sure they had microphones on the stage, and they had microphones that were going directly from their instruments to whatever was recording them. And they could just bring down the crowd noise wherever they wanted to and bring it up wherever they wanted to. So when Getty says concert hall, you hear the crowd. Yeah. But in other parts, you don't. And every time I saw them do the spirit of radio, the crowd was going bananas almost throughout the whole song. Yeah, that's true. So I think it's just missing a little of that. That's all. This isn't uh, Kiss Alive, you know? No, no. (laughs) The crowd was way too loud for Kiss Alive. 
But I guess the question is, did they remove too much crowd noise? It never bothered me. I mean, I hate to talk about other bands, but there's that Joe Jackson album, right? Big World, I think. Yeah. He recorded it live. Right. In front of an audience. Only the audience couldn't make any noise at all. He asked them to be quiet. Right. He had a big red light above the stage and he said, the red light's on, shut up, the red light's off, clap away. Because they were recording it straight to you know some deck somewhere. And even if you didn't know that that was recorded live, it sounds live. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's something to the way it sounds. It sounds like it's, it's not a regular recording. That's such a brilliant idea. Because I didn't know that originally. And when I found out later, all of a sudden it became so obvious. Yeah. Why it sounds so great. Yeah. And what a great album. If, if you're a Joe Jackson fan and you don't have Big World, check it out. Yeah, it's a great album. And we talked about the vinyl, Jer. Yep. That vinyl only has three sides. How about that? Like the Genesis live album, Three Sides Live? I don't have that <laughs> one. But the Joe Jackson, I, I have the vinyl. So mm-hmm. there's side one and side two on the first record. And the second record has side one and side four is just flat. Flat. There's no grooves in it. No way. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I got to see that. You still have it? Yeah, I got it. Oh, and next time I come over, I've got to see, got to see the, the flat album. So back to Exit Stage Left, the thing I notice on the Spirit of Radio is the guitar, the bass, and the drums are all mixed perfectly the right level. You know, like when you listen to a lot of live albums, man, eh, the drums aren't loud enough or the guitar is not loud enough. The bass isn't loud enough on this record. Everything's loud enough. No one's drowning out anybody. I think it's mixed perfectly. Yeah. So do I. I mean, you, and you can hear, I know like I think we've said a lot of people have a problem with the sound of the album, but you can hear everything clearly. You can hear every cymbal hit. You can hear all of uh, Alex's, quirky little guitar things that he's doing in some of the songs. It sounds great to me. I agree. Let's move on to track two. Red Barchetta. I've got a question on this one, Jeff. Okay. Could this version of Red Barchetta be better than the studio version of Red Barchetta? Is that possible? It's, ve- it's very possible, yeah. This is a great version. Alex's solo on this is fantastic. It is. Absolutely is. I mean, unbelievable. They just seem to be rocking just a little bit more on this version than the studio version to me. Yeah. And you know, we were talking, when we were talking to uh, Stephen Droz, we, I think I mentioned how, or he mentioned how one criticism of Rush is that they always sound like the albums, you know? Yeah. But if, if you listen to Red Barchetta, Alex is doing different things here and there. His solo, while not completely different, just has more juice to it. Yeah. Well, Alex always does different things. I mean, you can yeah. see Rush four nights in a row. And hear them do this song four nights in a row, and Alex is going to do something different every night. Yeah. And Neil, probably not. Neil's going to do it perfectly the same way every night. Right. But I, I, just, I just think this is a better version. I mean, I, lo- I love the studio version. Don't get me wrong. It's also the guitar tone on his solo. It's a little different, I think. Because mm-hmm. when it starts, 
you know, when that, uh, the part right before, you know, wind in my hair where the, that noise comes up. Yeah. I don't know what no- that's supposed to be, but the car revving up or whatever. Mm-hmm. That noise sounds really cool. And then when he starts the solo, it sounds very like it's in a tube or something. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. don't know what kind of effect that is, but it sounds perfect. I agree. I agree. So track three, Jer, YYZ. Again, it always amazes me how perfectly Rush does YYZ every time. I mean, that song is so hard to play, Yeah. yet they, they pull it off every time live. And on here, it sounds freaking amazing. It does. And the interesting thing uh, is, you know, the, the drum solo, which we've talked before about his drum solos weren't just drumming like hell. But you can hear like parts of the drum solo from here on other solos yeah. that he's done. You know what I mean? The part like later on, the part where he's just playing the the snare drum that comes later in some of the other solos, but right. here it's right up front. I just think uh, it's, it's interesting that he keeps certain phrases, I suppose here and there in different solos, but in a different spot. So it's, it has a whole different effect. Listening to this version again and Neil's drum solo just made me wish he he kept doing drum solos like this because he added all the samples later, yeah, which was great, but there was something about just Neil playing without the samples and just just Neil. Just on acoustic. Right. That was just great. And this drum solo is fantastic. It is fantastic. It's just, and hearing, actually hearing the whole album just made me kind of nostalgic for driving around in the Maverick. You mean <laughs> no, for seeing them live. Yeah. For seeing them live for, they didn't always, you know, Neil didn't always have the drum solo in YYZ, but when he did, I think the first time we saw them, when we saw them on the Hold Your Fire tour, I think he did, but again, could be wrong. And it's just, it's just fantastic how out of the solo, you don't even know the solo's ending. And then he's going right back into the, yeah. the fill that leads back to the song. And the other thing that jumped out at me on YYZ is Getty's bass tone. Mm. I mean, it's so great. And again, maybe, maybe a little better than on the record. I, I, it's uh, on the, on the studio version. I mean, it's yeah, crazy, yeah. crazy to say. It's hard. It's hard to uh, really compare them. They're so close. Just whatever mood you're in, I suppose. Yeah. So that's the end of side one. So now we go on to side two. So the first song on side two of Exit Stage Left is A Passage to Bangkok. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Jared, but this was left off the CD version, and I think the cassette version of Exit Stage Left. Do you remember this being on the cassette you had? I mean, I know it's not on my CD. I don't have the slightest idea. 
<laughs> I don't have the foggiest. But side two was recorded from the Permanent Waves tour. So these next four songs are from the Permanent Waves tour. Okay. Everything else on the record is from the Moving Pictures tour. So this is a completely different concert. But when you listen to it on the CD, it sounds seamless. Like it's all one concert. What's your take on this? I mean, it's, it's a great version. I think it's great. I think it's a great version. The thing that jumped out at me is there are a couple of stray cowbell hits on here that weren't on the, the studio version, Jared. What? Neil doing a little improvisation here. What? Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't, ca- I didn't catch the extra cowbell. <laughs> Just a couple. The superfluous cowbell. I didn't hear that. Yeah, but I love I love the drums on this. And one of the better Alex solos on the whole record, I think. I mean, we say it every time. I know, I know. They're all great, but this one this one was extra great, I think. <laughs> it was actually had a little extra sauce on it. A little extra <laughs> sauce. So as I mentioned, they let they left this off the CD of Exit Stage Left, and it ended up on the Chronicles Greatest Hits album. Oh. They put it on Chronicles because they, I guess, felt bad for leaving it off the CD. So I guess they figured people who were collecting CDs should get to have this version of the song. So they put it on Chronicles. Mm. Maybe as an enticement to buy Chronicles. It worked. I bought it. You had to get the one missing song. (laughs) It worked. It worked. Track five, Jar is closer to the heart. So you mentioned this when you talked about the single. The part that stands out to me on here is the crowd singing along with Getty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was always great in concert because it just shows you that Rush has so many different sides to it. I mean, who would think that they would have a sing-along? They have a sing-along song. They do. I mean, it's like Piano Man. You know what I mean? Everybody (laughs) is singing along to, to closer to the heart. And they smartly left the crowd singing in the song. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's a gem and they're singing the whole thing. Yeah. It's amazing. It just brings back incredible memories of just seeing rush. Like you said, I was getting nostalgic listening to this, wishing I could see rush again. I know. And Getty's voice on this song in particular is just great. Yeah. Beautiful tone. And we talked about this before. What would you say is Getty's vocal peak? I think when we talked about presto, we said late eighties, do you think it's more early 80s or do you think it's more late 80s? Splitting hairs, maybe. For me, I like the early 80s, specifically permanent waves, moving pictures, and signals because he goes high, but he also has a, has a deeper kind of tone to it. And later on, he kind of just stayed in his lower tone, I think, and never really got back to the real high stuff. Not that I, again, not that I dislike the 70s stuff, but it was just nice to hear a, a different kind of singing voice from him. Yeah. So this is a fabulous version of Closer to the Heart. Understand why they released it as a single for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It worked so great the first time they released it as a single, right? Yeah. Why not do it again? <laughs> do it again. The next track on side two of Exit Stage Left, Jer, is Beneath, Between, and Behind. Yeah. 
Now, this is kind of cool that they threw a song from Fly By Night in here. Yeah. The Moving Pictures tour was the last tour that they played Beneath, Between, and Behind. July 2nd, 1981, according to setlist.fm, was the last time Rush played this song. So we've never seen them play it. We've never seen them play it. I wish we had. Yeah. And this is a great, great version. I know it is. It is. I mean, it cooks. It does. It's, it, I don't know if it's faster than the album version, but it definitely feels like it's more urgent than the, than the album. Yeah. And, and you can understand why they dropped it after this because Getty, I don't know if he was struggling, but it's tougher for him to hit the high notes Yeah, around here. That's true. Yeah. This is back in the, back in the real high days. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, we've got next Jacob's Ladder. Right before this, we talked about this. Neil talked about this in the Kerrang! article we talked about. Ebb Tide, the prelude to this song, is a <laughs> 1953 song called Ebb Tide. Okay. And it was done by the Righteous Brothers. Really? In 1965. It's interesting. I'm going to throw a little of that in here right now. First the tide rushes in. a kiss on the shore. Now we know Rush loves older music. This is an interesting one for them to throw into a live set. It is. And unless I'm completely mistaken, the crowd starts to clap along, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is something I've always thought. Have you listened to the crowd clapping along? Because I guess the place is so large. You hear like two almost distinct claps, right? You hear people who are closer to the stage clap, and then you kind of hear the echo of the people from mm-hmm. the back clapping. And so that made me think of something that I've always thought about the spirit of radio, like why Getty does the little hand clap thing right. instead of regular clapping. And I think it's to stop people from clapping. Because <laughs> <laughs> in a gigantic arena, people clapping might throw you off completely because the sound just does not get, you know, to the front of the stage fast enough. I never thought of that. That's possible. So you think that's why he was doing that? I, I, I think he might've done, I have no, I've never oh, read it anywhere. I, I see. So he does that. Everybody else does that. And they're not clapping. Nobody's clapping. Huh? He, he's trying to, he's trying to ward off the clap by doing the little <laughs> hand thing. And I'm doing the hand motions Man, right if you now. Could, if you could ward off the clap by doing that, <laughs> Will help a lot of people out. This is walking down the street doing these little hand motions. <laughs> anyway, Jacob's Ladder, this version is incredible. Alex is on fire on this song. Really? Yeah. And Getty's bass line, it's great on the studio version, but it's great here too. Yeah. Um, Jacob's Ladder is one of those songs. You know, obviously, I'm like everybody else. If I'm driving around in the car, I'm tapping along on the steering wheel or something, right? Mm hmm trying to do the, the bass drum with my index finger and every other drum on my other fingers. I don't get them all right all the time, obviously, but this song is really hard to tap along to. Yeah. 
especially the beginning, it's going, you know, it has a little pattern, but then they break the pattern and I always miss it. I always miss it when they do it a little bit shorter every time. I don't know why, but listen to the song for 30 years. Well, it's in a different time signature. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to side three, Jar. We're on to the next album, Runes Bane. This is an interesting one, only because it's the only appearance of this song on a Rush album, and it's on a live album. Yeah. Do you have any history about this song? I mean, it's a, it's a little instrumental. Yeah, it's just a little instrumental that Alex did as a prelude to the trees on this tour. Brune is uh, the nickname Rush gave to Terry Brown. Right. I don't know why it's called Brune's Bane. Maybe he hated it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe this was the original intro to the trees and and terry brown hated it so they just brought it up on stage and called it brune's bane or maybe alex is brune's bane that (laughs) could be it that could be that could be it too but it's great it shows it shows alex's classical musical chops yeah so do you think this should count as a rush song i don't know was it on that list people count hope as a rush song right same sort of thing I guess so. Was it on the list of all the Rush songs? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm asking you if it's on your list. I'm asking if it was on that list, the one we're trying to emulate. Um, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. Right. I don't know either. Should it be considered a Rush song? Yeah. <laughs> Does it matter, I guess, is the other question. Yeah. I mean, sure. I guess, like you said, if, if Hope can be on it, then I, I sure, Bruins Bane. All right. Is that going to be controversial or no? I, I hope not. I'm just surprised that they didn't just include it in the trees. Why not just make it the, like the kind of prelude to the trees, but have it just start the trees? Maybe they just wanted to piss off Brune. <laughs> <laughs> that's possible. So speaking of the trees, that's next on Exit Stage Left. So the, the thing I love about this is the moment after Brune's Bane where the crowd realizes that they're playing the trees. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> right. That, that moment at a show when you hear the beginning of a song and you're like, oh man, they're going to play the freaking trees. You yeah, know? Right. Yeah, I know. That moment is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it always was fantastic. Especially when they did something like that and you're just like, what are they going to do next? Yeah. It goes right into it and you're like, yes. My night is complete. But that's the moment right at the beginning of the song that I think is the best moment of the whole song. Yeah, absolutely. And this version is a little bit faster than the studio version, don't you think? I noticed that, yeah. 
yeah, where the drums kick in, it's just really awesome. Just really moves. Yeah. I wonder if, if they planned that or if it just kind of like happened and they just kind of all went along with it. I don't know how that works with a band. I don't know. I get. I guess it would be Neil, right? Isn't he driving the time here? I guess. Maybe they're all listening to each other. They're picking up on each other's feel of the song. I don't know. Yeah, but I think it sounds great. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these songs are close to the greatness of the studio versions. Definitely. Or just as great in just a different way. That's all. Yeah, that's true. Very diplomatic, Steve. Very diplomatic. <laughs> I want to come out and say something's black or white. And you want to go both ways. Okay. All right, let's, let's check out Xanadu. That's next. This is one of the songs that I always looked forward to live. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could watch them play Xanadu. I wish they played it every single tour. Every tour. That's a song they could play every single time, and I would not be disappointed. Yeah. You know, I think we talked about reaction videos before. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, a lot of these reactors, they pick Xanadu to listen to. Sometimes even their first Rush song, they pick Xanadu. Why, why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, it's 12 minutes long, right? They use, they use the version from Exit Stage Left, the, the film. Oh, okay. I, I don't know why, but they love it, of course. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? But there's this, also this one moment in the film where Alex kind of gives Getty the side eye, like gives him like a little look, and mm-hmm. that look is definitely saying, we are killing this song right now. <laughs> Like, wow, I can't believe how, how well we're playing this song. It's well, crazy. Well, the thing is, if you were them, I mean, wouldn't you think that when you nail that song? Yeah. Wouldn't you be like, wow, we're freaking awesome. <laughs> I would think that. I would think that too. Yeah. I mean, 11 minutes. I mean, we talked about this when we were, they recorded the studio version. They did it in the second take. Right. I mean, come on. Yeah, I know. Who it's, does that? Oh, I know. And there was no other takes on, on stage. So right. It's an amazing version. And you know that there's some, some good lighting behind them or some images behind them because just every once in a while, the crowd cheers Yeah, when nobody's singing or anything. So you know there must be some pretty cool stuff on stage. But like Neil always says, that it was so satisfying to play songs like this perfectly. It was a challenge for them every time. And this had to, had to be one of those. Right. And this song has his entire arsenal comes out right he's got those those uh gongs right with the, the mallets he's hitting them yep he's just kind of moving his hand all across these little wind chimes and stuff like that and the percussion on exit stage left particularly on this song is really prominent in the mix i think oh yeah and it sounds great well like you said it's all balanced very balanced yep yep and again this song is slightly faster than the studio version i think and alex solo unbelievable unbelievable Goes without saying. Goes without saying. Which is why we say it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So let's move to side four, the last side of exit stage left. Oof. Free will. (laughs) 
this one sounds almost too close to the studio version for me. Really, I was going to say that uh, that one part that we love, yeah, where they're all jamming together, right. and in comes the solo. That's the one part that I think sounds different. Oh, okay. The solo section, they're just cooking on that they're section. Just, yeah, and there it's it's insanity. I just picture in my head. I know they didn't do this on stage. But that the Alex and Getty just go over to Neil and just stare at him, and the three of them just play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're in a like they're in a basement somewhere in a garage, just like rocking out because it's crazy. Yeah, it's almost like you know Alex and Getty would go right up to the drum set. Yeah, and they'd be all looking at each other, almost like mm-hmm. challenging each other to see if see who can kick ass more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they all equally kicked ass. <laughs> they did. They can't, those guys can't one up each other, right? They were trying to, I think, but yeah. they really couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't. And it's just amazing that they can pull this off live. It, any of these songs live, it's amazing they can pull it off. Anybody could. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. All right, a couple more. We've got Tom Sawyer next. thing that jumped out at me on this one is the keyboard sound at the beginning echoing through the arena did you notice that is it good or bad steve it's good oh yeah then i noticed it (laughs) (laughs) no i thought it was great i thought it was great um i didn't i didn't notice that oh other than i mean i i it kind of echoes anyway right oh yeah but on the live version it echoes just a little bit more and i love it yeah it's like like i've said before i never tire of tom sawyer no never listen to it every every day and again the the solo section just like on free will they are cooking i know it's incredible a tour de force tour de force yeah and neil in particular sounds really really into it yeah i mean you can the clarity of of this album comes out on this song because he's just got the hi-hat yeah going the entire thing and you can hear it totally Mm -hmm. and by this time rush had perfected playing this song live i mean i know we heard the recording we talked about a recording that we heard on the permanent waves tour where they kind of rolled out tom sawyer and it didn't sound so great but here oh right yeah yeah i mean it's perfection yeah it is doesn't get better or or does it because the next song is laville strangiata I hear this and I, and I think no wonder everyone loves this record. No wonder Rush fans pull out exit stage left whenever they say, this is what introduced me to Rush. I mean, just hearing this version of LaVille Strangiato, it's crazy. I know, it's unparalleled. It's insane. And we talked about how they picked the right song to start the album. I think they also picked the right song to end this album. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what is, what is Getty saying in that one part? Do you know? Geez, I don't know. Because I look, where am I? Uh, oh, I'm on rush.com. 
Okay. That's where I am. And the liner notes say at the bottom, blah, blah, blah. said, we should also include a loose translation for the new lyrics to the Danforth and Pape section of La Villa Strangiato. And this is what it says. Patty cake, patty cake. Mother's going to buy you shoes. Father's going to buy you socks. Baby's going to have red cheeks. Okay. So I don't know if that's actually what he said, but (laughs) according to that, that's what he said. But Alex's solo here again, just crazy. I mean, he's, he's unbelievable. I mean, this is like every Rush fans number one song, right? We always say that. Yeah. Cause it, it comes is. up so, so often. Yeah. And later on down the road, uh, much later on, <laughs> Alex, this is, I almost snorted there for a second. Just thinking about it. Alex would just start saying the goofiest, goofiest stuff. Oh yeah. Right. During one section. He would just talk about whatever. He would crack. He would crack the other guys up on stage all the time, just talking gibberish. So funny. So after listening to Exit Stage Left again this weekend, I hadn't listened to it in a while. Yeah, neither have I. I wonder why I hadn't listened to it more often. Who knows, Steve? There's a lot of constraints on our time. Yeah, you know what it is. I, I tend to not listen to live albums as often as I do studio albums, and I don't know why. I think other people go the other way, love listening to live stuff, but I'm not a big live album guy. Uh, yeah, I'm, it depends on the live album, I suppose. But for the most part, especially with Rush, you know, I, I guess it's with, with uh, bands that I listened to when I was younger. I want to hear the album. Yeah. But I listened to one song because as I was listening to, um, as YYZ ended, I wanted to hear uh, Limelight. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was looking forward to limelight. Right. You're just so used to hearing it. Yeah. Right. So I guess the next question is, is this Rush's greatest live album? They have quite a few. Is this the greatest? Well, personally, my favorite two live albums are this one and All the World's a Stage. So I'm really only going to choose between the two. Mm -hmm. And I am choosing this one. I am choosing Exit Stage Left. Okay. All right. You? I would say this is their greatest live album for sure. Nice. And I would go a show of hands second. Really? Yeah. I love that. I love that album. We should talk about that another time. That'd be an interesting one. Over All the World's a Stage. Yeah. Why? Something about All the World's a Stage, the the mix just isn't great for me. I don't know why. Just doesn't hit me. For me, it sounds so live. That's what I like. It's raw. It's raw. It's raw. Yeah, it's raw and crashy. Yeah, and almost... I don't know. There's just something, something about the mix that I don't love, but we, we can talk about that when we talk about all the world's a stage. Okay. So Jared, what did you think about discussing the live album? You were, you had some trepidation about doing this and now we've done it. Do you think it was worthwhile? Was it worthwhile? Yeah. I just cannot believe we talked for (laughs) before this is going to be edited down. It's an hour. Yeah. How did we spend an hour talking about this album when I said at the beginning, I can't think of anything to talk about. You know why? Because you, you get in this pigeonhole thing where you think you've got to talk about the lyrics and there's so much more to rush than the lyrics. Like what? Like what? (laughs) (laughs) We just talked about it for an hour. I guess that's true. Yeah. We didn't even mention any lyrics. No. Yeah. We didn't imagine that. And it's still, it's still fantastic. We, we don't have to talk about lyrics, Jar. I'm going to have to 
talk to my family about some lyrics when I leave, <laughs> just to get it out of my system. But we do have to talk about a set list, because not only was Exit Stage left an album, it was also a tour. Right. Rush toured for this album to support it. That's interesting, isn't it? I think so. Well, they did it for All the World's a Stage also. Right. You think that, you know, they do, I think I read somewhere that uh, live albums for them was a way for them to put something out while taking some time off, right? Right. So why would you go on tour after it? But the thing is, back then, they toured all the time. They were always playing. Always. And I guess, since it sold so well, right? Oh, maybe it sold so well because they went on tour. Maybe. Maybe. That was smart. Smart guys. Are you ready for the set list, Jared? This is a good one. Where are you getting the set list from? Setlist.fm is where I got it. And I picked... The Brendan Byrne Arena in East <gasps> Rutherford, New Jersey, Jar, because that's right in our backyard. That's right. December 22nd, 1981. Wow. We were 12. We were not there. Nope. 2112 Part 1 Overture. Okay. 2112 Part 2, Temples of Syrinx, Free Will, Limelight, Cygnus X1 Book 2, Hemispheres Part 1, Prelude. Okay. Then Beneath, Between, Behind, we mentioned this was uh, the end of its appearance on Rush set lists. Yep. Subdivisions. They did an early version of Subdivisions on this tour. How about that? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. The Camera Eye, YYZ, followed by the drum solo, just like on the album. Then we get Brune's Bane listed as a song. So I think that would uh, prove that it's a song. Mm -hmm. Or not a song, a uh, we can't call it a song because it doesn't have lyrics. That's what <laughs> Nathan's going to correct me, right? Many people will correct you. It's a tune. <laughs> Brune's Bane is a tune. It's, it's a musical composition. Exactly. Followed by The Trees, Xanadu, The Spirit of Radio, Red Barchetta. I mean, can you believe this? I know. Closer to the Heart, Tom Sawyer, Vital Signs. I mean, this is, this is an incredible list. Working Man. Cygnus X1, Book 2, Hemispheres, Part 4, Armageddon. Wow. Yeah. By Tor and the Snow Dog, In the End, In the Mood, and then 2112, Part 7, the grand finale, ends the set. Yeah. Mic drop. No. Everybody go home. No mic drop, because they come out for an encore. What did we miss? What's the one song I didn't mention? La Villa Strangiato. La Villa Strangiato. How about that? That. That's incredible. That'd be a night to remember. Yeah. If you were there December 22nd, 1981, shoot us an email. Let us know. Yeah. We'd like to hear how great that show was. Our fellow Jerseyites. Yep. So one other thing we have to do today, Jer, is pick the winner for the poster that our listener Derek gave us last week. That's right. A little housekeeping. A little housekeeping. So uh, you chose the winner. Right. I took everyone on our mailing list. So I copied all the names, all the addresses or whatever, put them in a doc, numbered them, uh -huh. and then went to a random number generator. Nice. And got a number. And the winner is our friend, Ethan. 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 Nice. Congrats, Ethan. So I've already emailed him and um, we'll see what he says. Hopefully, sure, send it on. Yeah, I hope he actually wants the poster. Why, well, why wouldn't he? <laughs> I know. We should have kept it for ourselves, Steve. Jeez. <laughs> well, thanks, Ethan, for joining our mailing list and uh, winning the contest. And thanks to Derek again 
for giving us the poster to give away. Yeah, that was very generous of them. So anyway, Jerry, you can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are the TheRushCast. Email Jerry. Let us know what you thought about our conversation about exit stage left. Was it worth doing? Should we talk about more live albums? Should we never speak again? <laughs> In general, should we never speak again? <laughs> TheRushCast at gmail.com. Bass intro done by our good pal Lex. And Jerry, I hope you have a quote for me to wrap this up perfectly. I do. I did something different today. Oh, nice. Yeah. So instead of just picking, you know, from my brain, I did a, a random Rush song, someplace in random Rush songs, and I'm going to do uh, a quote from Mystic Rhythms because that's wow. the random Rush song that came up. Nice. You ready? I'm ready. Mystic Rhythms capture my thoughts, carry them away. Mysteries of night escape the light of day. Mystic rhythms under northern lights or the African sun. Primitive things stir the hearts of everyone. I like that. You should do a random quote every time. I think I will. That's cool. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.